Welcome to the Fit and Free with AIM podcast. I'm your host, Amy Louise. By listening to this podcast, you'll gain clarity and apply now principles in relation to training, nutrition, and mindset, all designed to help you build a strong and lean physique and show up as your best self at the same time. If you're a woman who struggles with excessive behaviors when it comes to training and nutrition and think of yourself as a perfectionist, I hear you, I see you, I was you, and I know that you're in exactly the right place to turn that ship around and build a body you love inside and out. So let's go. We have our very first guest on the podcast today, which is super exciting, and that guest is Aaron, aka Elite Strength Coach. And he has been coaching for 13 years now. I think I got that off your Instagram the other day. Too too long. (laughs) And he has worked with a ton of women. And you're going to hate me saying this, but you are the most experienced and well-qualified coach that I know. And I trust your opinion and recommendations very highly. So I'm very excited and keen for today's conversation. Um, Without further ado, welcome. And can you you give everyone a bit of a rundown on who you are, who you coach, your experience, and I'm going to make you do a little bit of the qualifications as well. So I appreciate the kind words, and that just really goes to show that you need to expand your social circles because I'm definitely not the smartest um, person going around, that's for sure. Uh, That's kind of sad that you think that, but I appreciate it. We'll go with that. Um, That's how we're starting this. <laughs> just like going to just basically run you down for everything that you said nice about me. No. Um, what have I done? Not much. No. Um, usual uni studied. What did you do at uni, Aaron? Exercise science, moved into exercise physiology. Um, that was, I guess, fun. And then Pretty much after that, like I was PTing the whole time as well. So I'd done PT since I'd been doing PT, sorry, since I was 19 or 18 even. I was tennis coaching from 17. Um, so I've always been playing some sort of sport or being active in that aspect. Mm. Uh, moved into uni, in and out of uni, traveling and whatnot, and then finished and then started. I ran my own gym. Actually, that's what I first did before I forget. <laughs> I've run a couple of gyms um, and that sort of stuff. And now just online coaching because about four or five years ago, I think I'm, I'm sure I saw someone on a beach and it might've been an ad and they were making money on a, on a beach saying they were online coaching. I'm like, I want that lifestyle. So before it was cool, I was just posting training and shit on Instagram and here we are. <laughs> Not much more going on. And then just been upskilling in the process and annoying very smart people. Yeah. Have you been coaching both men and women since the start? Yeah. So, um, my my first actual powerlifting client, so how I got into powerlifting was female, or she still is female, I assume. Um, and we basically worked on um, some rehabilitation work. So she came to me with a hip issue for a squat, uh, fixed that, super strong, squatted like 130 at 65 kilos or something in sleeves, which is very, very strong, especially at the time. Um, and she's like, well, I just want to, you know, start expressing my strength and, you know, thinking competing in powerlifting. I'm like, sure. Like, why not? Let's do it. So we did. And then it just sort of took off from there in terms of my powerlifting coaching career. And then um, that sort of extended into uh, males coming on board as well as females. Um, And obviously guys being in the gym, wanting to be stronger, getting jacked. They're like, Oh, I want to do steroids. So I was kind of like, okay, I should probably learn something about something. 
when it comes to pharmacology and that sort of stuff. So started deep, uh, deep diving into pharmacology and speaking and liaising and learning from some very, very smart individuals in that field. So I've been doing that for a good three or four years now. Mm. I have a few questions stemming from that. Uh, so you, was your first foray into like competitive trainees powerlifting or have you also, <laughs> did you also start with like physique competitors? And no, just, that- it was power, powerlifting. Yeah. Powerlifting was my first sort of uh, intro into actual coaching, coaching versus PTing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And how long have you been coaching clients who are getting up on stage? So stage being physique or stage being platform? Uh, <laughs> physique. <laughs> so, I, so I've been helping people uh, get to stage sort of like as a um, – a liaison for effectively when it comes to sort of drug protocols and that sort of stuff, probably the last two and a half, three years um, and helped quite a few sort of high profile people jump up, but I don't advertise or really talk about it much just because I didn't prep them from start to finish myself. It's like there was always someone else or them doing it themselves and then them just coming to me for some advice and some help. Um, yeah. So I've got, I've got a couple now we're going through the the ranks effectively of getting to stage. I mean, they did just cancel IFBB shows yesterday. So I had my first bikini girl that was going literally start to finish with me. And I've had her for three years powerlifting beforehand. Um, yeah, they've just had to sort of pull out and stop, which, you know, again, not the end of the world, but does make it a bit tricky. I think she was eight weeks out. So not too bad, like better than being eight weeks out, I think than one week out and being so close and going through all that hard work and, you know, getting to that, that last stage and being like, ah, shit. So not too bad now. Yeah. Uh, we haven't named her, so I think we can, I can ask this. How, how has she taken that, you know, having. Yeah, she was a bit, she was a bit um, mixed emotions. Uh, I think <laughs> a little bit relieved in that now she knows because the uncertainty of shows going ahead was always the hardest part. And I think that's going to be the hardest part for a lot of um, competitors or would have been, sorry, the hardest part for a lot of competitors as of late, you know, season B, October shows, a couple of months out still. So it's like, not in the deep, deep parts of prep, like that last five or six weeks, it's still deep enough that it's hurting. But at the same time, I think the uncertainty of uh, not knowing is always going to hurt more than anything else. Now that they've got a definitive, it's kind of like, okay, we can sort of go back to the drawing board and work out what we want to do for season A next year. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I couldn't imagine what it would be like. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would suck. Uh, like I can only imagine that it just, you know, you have something you're prepping for, but then not having a deadline or knowing if that deadline is going to be the deadline would be difficult. And then, like I said, pulling it out early, you know, eight weeks, two months is still plenty of time, I guess, with the deadline there versus a week out. Like that would have, that would have been more harsh, I think. I have a story way back when I did my first bikini comp. I don't know how many weeks out I was, maybe four weeks. And I was with a federation, a small federation that's based in Brisbane and uh, they didn't actually didn't get enough people down here to run the show in Melbourne. And I thought mm. it might have been happening. And I was at the gym and they called me. And, you know, you could imagine my little emotional self, right? They called me and they're like, hey, just to let you know, we're not, we're not running the show in Melbourne anymore. And that's all I sort of took out of the conversation. And I, I remember I was in like the little lady section of the gym and I just like hit the floor and was crying. I was so emotional. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, like you're putting all this work into it so I can yeah. imagine. It's hard for me. One, 
uh, the guys that I liaise with as well, like I, I reached out to a couple of guys just to make sure they were okay. And they were all fine because I think males obviously versus females, we're not, I mean, most of us aren't as emotional. So it's kind of like, we're just so robotic and especially probably in prep when, you know, there's so many things going on. You're just like, okay, what's next? Like, <laughs> and I think also being COVID, like, yeah, it's kind of like, it's almost expected. It's kind of like, uh, okay, well, what else are you going to throw at me? What else are you going to do? Like, what else is going to happen? You know? So, <laughs> but I can imagine, um, yeah, being very different. For, and I have seen on social media being a lot different uh, between males and females, but at the same time, it's just one of those things, you know, can't help, can't help it the way you react. Cause there are plenty of op- um, males and females also doing the opposite, just being robots and just turning around and going, you know what, we'll just get on with it. And then you've got sort of the other cohort that's like, ah, f- you know, my life what am I gonna do blah 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 it's like shut up it's a bodybuilding show you'll live yeah right I the the second part of the the conversation that I had with him though was like it's okay we'll fly you up to Brisbane and we'll pay for accommodation for I think there was like six Melbourne girls and they're like bring you up and they're gonna they're gonna gonna fly you up on a holiday shut up And I think like I think I'd got my bikini bottoms and they didn't fit that week. It's just yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go jump in that fed. I'm gonna do bikini in that federation so they can fly <laughs> me up. But it, yeah, look, uh, <laughs> I I could I could understand how someone might be pretty damn devastated. Yeah, of course. Those people yeah. prepping, you know, for for so many months with shows being postponed and stuff, and then coaches having to deal with that. But we will get into a bit more comp talk soon because there are a few things I definitely want to ask you. But we put out the field for some questions. Mm -hmm. I got a a few and they're all supplement PED based. I think we we knew was coming, but maybe we'll start with the tame stuff and work our way into Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like that idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fair. Let's let's work our way into all this sort of stuff. So supplements. So the the first question I had, and I had this from a couple of people actually. I'm I'm really interested to just hear your opinion as I am on all of these questions. But in terms of you know healthy female clients that are coming to you, can you run through basic supplements that might be useful? Considerations that you might take into account. What's worth taking? What supplements perhaps are pushed in the industry that? aren't worth it we could just yeah if you could just speak on your take on beneficial supplements for healthy females yeah so i mean i guess we have to probably differentiate between healthy females that don't train and then healthy females that do right healthy females that don't train i mean they have a regular cycle everything's going well they don't necessarily need to supplement if they haven't already started supplementing because i mean they're healthy but once we once we move into things like resistance based training, cardio training, all that sort of stuff, everything's changed. The um, you know, once we introduce something new, we have to then obviously change something else down the track. So I like to use things with my females. So in terms of the females um, and actual general supplementation, things like antioxidants are always going to be handy, protecting against like free radicals. You know, vitamin C assists with like you know blood cell red blood cells, sorry, production. Um, and it actually has this nice little effect. It actually boosts norepinephrine. So uh, it helps with concentration. So it gives you that little energy boost. Um, B complex. So you can, you know, specify and use like a B6, B12. You don't need to just get a B complex. It covers everything. Again, covers things from metabolism to production of red blood cells, helps um, healthy pregnancies as well. So, if, you know, it can assist in uh, minimizing birth defects and that sort of thing. 
um, a little bit of research has been done on that. Vitamin D uh, assists with calcium absorption. So according to the research, that's really all that it does. But then there are some other little things that have been shown in the research in terms of neuromuscular health and immune system health. So, I mean, like, why not? And then iron being probably the bigger one because it's found in red blood or red blood cells. Um, it assists with oxygen and carbon dioxide transport in the blood. But obviously when females have their menses, they lose a ton of blood. So it is usually why lower iron levels are associated with females compared to males. So that's probably the biggest ones that I'd use. Honestly, for me, when I get a female first off the bat, I get bloods to make sure that they're okay first and foremost. And if bloods are fine, you can keep basic stuff. Like I've just mentioned, iron supplements are always nice. Using fish oil, it's always handy. Um, and honestly, just a good multivitamin. Like that covers most of the stuff. Now, when I say a good multivitamin, I don't mean the ones you go buy at Coles and Safeway. Or sorry, Woolies now. Yes, I'm that old. I call it Safeway still. Um, just, you know, you can go jump on sort of iHerb, uh, Piping Rock. There's a couple of brands there, like the Now brand. Um, Piping Rock has its own brand. They're pretty decent. Or you can just jump on examine.com and they have a ton of brands that they suggest. And yeah, pretty straightforward in that aspect. Mm. Yeah, I think that you, you answered the question that, that I was really asking you or I was most interested in, which was like what brands, like what should we be looking for? I think that providing like examine.com and then the ones that you listed is really helpful for people to mm. understand. Do you get, uh, is it in your practice that you get all of your women to get blood tested when they start with you or you recommend? Yeah, so yeah, I highly recommend all clients, not just females, males and females that start with me to get blood tests if they haven't had any recently. Um, again, because I work in the enhancement world, obviously need to make sure that they're healthy enough to look at enhancement. And um, even if they're not, you know, making sure that they're just healthy in general. And it's funny how many people, both male and female, just don't get blood tests. It's kind of like, you know, you look at it, your external health, like you want to look good, but what do you look like on the inside? Like no point looking good on the outside at the sacrifice of what you look like on the inside. So um, internal health obviously is quite big and a more holistic approach as well. Because if we're looking at nutrition practices and then we're looking at supplementation practices, we need to see what's going on on the inside, right? Yeah, it is. It is super, super important. And it's something that I do ask my ladies to, to get as well. And I think there's, yeah. there is so much fear mongering online and self-diagnosis. It's like, let's just see if there is anything happening first um, that yeah. we need to supplement for. And I think it is worth being careful. For sure. I mean, I'd rather most of it bar probably an iron supplement for females I'd, and maybe fish oil. Um, I'd probably want to get most of it from nutritional practices first. But then obviously if you start implementing things like dieting, whether it be up or down, usually dieting down, you will end up sacrificing certain things. You can't help that. You're having less food. It's just going to happen. Um, that's when supplements probably become a little bit more important in a, in a surplus. Maintenance and a surplus, usually um, we can get away with having a little bit less in terms of actual supplements. But again, the supplements are just that. It's in the title. They're supplements. They supplement a lifestyle. They don't you know, replace anything. So food first and foremost in a balanced diet comes first. Yeah, I think that's another another area that is, is really important to reiterate because I think a lot of people sort of see supplements as, you know, the first thing, the first, the most important thing, or it's like the exciting thing to get into, you know, fill up your iHerb trolley with hundreds of dollars worth of supplements. But then when we, we look at the overall diet, it's not supportive. And yeah, exactly. 
really important to reiterate that. Uh, the next thing I wanted to, to have a chat about was stress and recovery. And, you know, with my, the women I coach, they burn the candle at both ends a lot of them when they first come to me, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of the work I do with a lot of the women I coach is about pulling everything back pulling back training, you know, they're doing over 20,000 steps a day for no good reason except, you know, fear of weight gain. They're very lean women already, right? And I wanted to get your take on what does recovery really mean? Because, you know, I know in in the client that's coming to me, her idea of recovery is still going for a, you know, 15-kilometer hike on the weekend, um, what are, can you talk about like what is uh, recovery what does it really mean to rest and and some of the things we might be taking into account when we're asking clients to rest yeah so I mean it really does uh, depend on the client but if you're sort of the clients that you're um, describing you know highly stressed highly volatile um, just way on edge all the time and it's like the first thing you want to do is literally bring them back to to ground zero right you you want to keep minimum effective dose of everything that you're doing um, and to implement change and a lot of people that don't know they tend to burn the candle at both ends like you said and they just do the maximum from the start and they wonder why they do burn out so fast um, and it's literally as you said it's just pulling everything back so with a client when it comes to recovery um, it's more lifestyle and implementing lifestyle recovery, not just training, not just nutrition, but also like stress recovery from work, stress recovery from family, you know, social interactions, I mean, or lack thereof at the moment um, and, and that sort of thing. So implementing strategies to help them relax. Now you can, again, use some sort of supplementation to help relax, but, but first and foremost, I do always try and take a more natural approach. Um, Again, pulling back their training. For example, if they're training five days a week and doing fifteen thousand steps, it's just like, okay, we're going to chill out. We're going to do five thousand steps. Just we're just going to we're just going to relax. We're going to do five thousand steps. You're training six times a week. We're going to train three. Like, calm down. You know, it's like when we diet someone and we put them at a maintenance phase. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to just put you at a maintenance phase. We're going to chill you out and relax. You know, suggesting potentially reading a book at night before you go to bed to drive up parasympathetic tone, which you know helps in recovery um, and puts you in a relaxed state. Also eating, it's uh, making sure that we eat uh, in a relaxed state, much, much better for digestion. Um, these sort of things where dark rooms, you know, it's like sleep hygiene routines, like dark rooms, candles or, you know, blue light blockers, if, you know, if that's what you're into um, and making sure that we have a, an optimal environment to actually relax. And that's where most people probably struggle, especially working from home and that sort of thing as well. Um, now that, you know, your sanctuary being home has become your workplace makes things a lot harder. So being able to separate things like not having a TV in your bedroom, for example, especially at this period of time, so that you don't have that luxury of living. Uh, hey, I've got my dad, all right? He takes control of my, my living room, so I can't watch TV in there. I have to watch it in my bedroom and I have to work from my bedroom as well. So I am not the example. Do as I say, not as I do. Anyway, I supplement to sleep. So don't even just... Anyone watching on YouTube, ignore what I'm actually saying and just, you know, we're good. No, but, no, no. Um, Let me say this for the listeners. If you can't see what's happening and what I've just done, Aaron's in his room with the TV behind him. Just, and, working, and working in my room. So whatever. So do, like I said, do as I say, not as I do. There's a difference. If you can't handle the stress, I can handle it. Well, most of the time. But um, anyway, as I was saying, as I was rudely interrupted, uh, <laughs> we, we're looking at things to just mitigate stress. So separating, you know, 
your bedroom from your office if you can um, and these sorts of things where when you go to your room and you go to bed and you jump into bed, we're not working from bed. We're chilling out, we're sleeping and that's it. Yes, that is a direct as somebody that works from bed. I'll, I'll try and contain myself because I have some good questions coming off that. <laughs> Go on. Can we just talk about sleep hygiene for a moment? Yeah. Uh, I do get a lot of questions about this, and and you know, I talk about a few of the things that you've mentioned, but uh, sometimes it's it's really good to hear it coming from another person. Mm-hmm. What can we do to maximize our sleep hygiene? Well, sleep hygiene is literally just a sleep routine, right? So it's pre-bed routine to put you in an optimal state to be relaxed so that you can hopefully get to sleep and stay asleep uh, much more easily. Things like screens, like not being on a screen, let's say for half an hour before bed. Now, a lot of people probably struggle for that sort of 30 minutes pre-bed. So it's like if they turn off their screens and that sort of thing, like what are they going to do? Or like, what do I do with my time? Well, you can journal, you know, you can sort of write down your thoughts for the day. You can read a book, something nice and easy, um, you know, science fiction book where you're not really thinking and trying to take any new information in and like actually learn something. Um, definitely having a dark room, cool room always helps as well. Uh, obviously, even in winter, like you don't necessarily need to have the heater on a full blast. You can always have it down slightly um, and making sure that like you're just comfortable. Like me personally, like a shower before bed, that's sort of the start of my sleep routine. So it's kind of like, okay, I showered half an hour before bed. And I know that that's my time to start winding down now and get ready to go to bed. It's just having habits in place so that your body knows and becomes accustomed to, okay, we're starting the process of starting to sleep. Now your serotonin um, level, levels start to increase and you start to uh, increase melatonin levels, natural melatonin levels that help, helpfully, hopefully help you sleep or put you to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and there was one more question that I wanted to ask. Do you also have clients who come to you who are burning the candle at both ends or is that just me? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, I've had clients in the past that tend to do that and we've had to basically take a complete uh, like foot off the gas type mm. approach. And it's just kind of like, like I've had clients where they come to me for the first time and I've just the first week I'm like, you're not doing anything. Sometimes with clients that are burning out, I will tell them purposefully that I'm going to take a week to get this stuff to them. So for this week, I just don't want you to do anything. And it's kind of like they're thinking, okay, he's just prepping my stuff. And I'm like, I've already got your stuff ready. I'm just waiting for you to chill out. Little things. It's just, yeah, knowing your client, knowing and think, you know, trying to apply what you think is best. Because at the end of the day, what what you think is best may not be. But at the same time, if it's the safety and the health of the client, well, then that's all you can do. Have you ever had any pushback from those clients about, you know, pulling a step target down, about pulling training volume down? <laughs> yeah, so I tend to get a lot of uh, pushback from clients who, um, when I give them four-day programs and they've come from five days and they're like, oh, I want a fifth day. And I'm like, yeah, not with the way I want you to train. And then usually after the first week, they're like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't had too much because typically – the women who are coming to me who are burning the candle at both ends know that something's really wrong and they know that something needs to change. So whilst there is a fear that, you know, they're going to gain body fat, they're going to turn into this sloth, but like we know that's not going to happen. It's not in their personality type, right? Uh, And I think that they know that this is what they need to do. So I haven't had too much pushback, a little bit with the, you know, four days training, but I do think 
I like to take a collaborative approach and, you know, whether people disagree with the way I coach, that's fine. But if I need to do baby steps, I will. And, you know, always talking to the client and making sure that they understand the reason behind why we're pulling things back. I think it makes it easier. I've had a couple who really get uncomfortable with me trying to reduce their steps and, you know, this is, I'm not joking when I say 20,000 plus a day, you know, 17,000 plus a day for no good reason, uh, apart from fear of weight gain. So, um, you know, I, I, sometimes I do work in baby steps and whereas, you know, another coach might be like, no, we're not, it's going to be only 8,000. Yeah. It's really important for at least the way I coach to, to, you know, take those baby yeah, well, steps and let at them the end of the day, it's, Yeah, well, at the end of the day, it's for their health. So it's like you're doing the best, what you deem the best approach from your end to help the client achieve their result. That's all you can do as coaches. It just happens that I tend to work with um, a, a different demographic in that they're pretty, like they're coming to me because they know, like they have a goal, they know what they want, you know, being specific to either bodybuilding or like physique or powerlifting. So mm-hmm. for me, it's much easier to just sort of say, ah, no. <laughs> than it is to walk them through and take it, you know, step by step. Um, I don't have to sort of do that. I'm fortunate in that aspect. It's like, you know, I don't think I'd be able to deal with a client that's um, probably needing a little bit more of a softer touch. I'm, I'm not really that way inclined now. <laughs> like, I mean, I think I used to be, but not so much anymore. It's kind of like, nah, this is how we're doing it. This is why we're doing it. You don't like it too bad. <laughs> yeah, I hear. Um, let's have a quick chat and quick chat about um menstrual cycle maybe yep. a little bit of birth control stuff and yeah, we can do that just in terms of really basic stuff because you know at least in in my opinion at this point in time a regular menstrual cycle seems to me to be pretty important yep. for women. and i have heard around <laughs> some people you know, some coaches don't agree too much and don't think it's it's a big deal. Uh, in my opinion, I do. So just in terms of women supporting, you know, a regular cycle, I think we've gone over the basics that we've already already spoken about as supporting a regular menstrual cycle. Yep. Is there anything else you think that can Well, help? I guess we'd have to look at what, so like what is a regular cycle, right? So when we talk about regular cycles, you probably hear, or you may have heard the word of eumenorrhic. So that's what it actually, it just means well, like that's, I think it's Latin or something. I don't know. I'm not that really uh, good with my Latin, but that's literally what that word means. And a regular cycle is very different to from female to female. So like the pill that they market is based on 28 days. It was much more easy for them to market a 28 day pill so that they could just give it to you sort of each month. And when they do prescriptions and stuff, it's much easier to sell. Uh, 28 day cycle isn't, common usually it's i think between 28 and 35 days from memory um because there are a few days that lag in each phase and then when we look at the actual menstrual cycle like what is it what is it that's actually going on you know like you have your menses which is like the bleed um you know uterine lining you know being expelled so i think a lot of people probably don't know the finer details and it's funny the more females that i've spoken to over the years probably not knowing much about the actual details of a menstrual cycle um and they're just like they're sort of just so common commonly saying that yeah i just like i bleed for a week per month it's like cool like but do you know why you know and understanding that um like we move into like the follicular phase right um, that's usually the first sort of 14 days day one to 14 and it's actually broken up into three different phase, phases so fo- follicular and luteal phases are actually broken up into what we call an early mid and late phase um something that's probably not spoken about that often 
Um, and the follicle is just containing an egg due to the FSH, so um, follicular stimulating hormone, which is increasing at this time and um, with the most dominant being released at ovulation, right? So the most dominant uh, follicle releases that egg, okay? And then progesterone stays low at this time while estrogen builds and both tend to surge just before ovulation, okay? So progesterone stays low and then it bumps up the same as estrogen does just before we go, well, we, and by we, I mean, you go into ovulation. Um, I've never had this problem. I don't think, <laughs> I mean, there might've been this one time at band camp. No, uh, the, the, you know, this sort of stuff happens. Right. And then you have like ovulation, which is, it's like this middle ground that's going on. So you have what we always co- I commonly know as the two phases being follicular and luteal, but then you do have these other two phases being the actual menses itself and then ovulation. And ovulation is at the halfway point. And what happens is you get this spike in testosterone just before, and then it holds to just after. Normally ideal for training. That's why that second and third week, you know, um, when it comes to, if you do have a regular cycle uh, for training, it's probably when you feel your best and usually you're at your leanest. (laughs) So when, you know, females are looking at themselves and they're like, okay, week two and week three, I'm at my leanest. I feel my best. I feel great. You know, everything's moving phenomenally. It's like, well, yeah you have all these things happening and all these peaks happening as well as testosterone. So, you know, can't be mad about that. And then from a biological perspective, testosterone is actually high here potentially um, because it increases sex drive, right? And because now you're ovulating, you're at your primary time to, well, reproduce. So just a little bit of biology there for you one I one. That's what, it's what people think and what we think from a biological perspective, which makes the most sense to be honest. Um, and then, you know, you move into your luteal phase, which is, you know, at the end, sort of halfway to the end, we'll say. So 15, day 15 to day 30 or whatever it is for, for you. Um, you know, the egg develops and it develops into what we call the corpus luteum, which is just a group of cells. And that's where luteal phase comes from, the word luteum. Um, and it produces progesterone. So in this particular phase, we do have an increase in estrogen and progesterone at the start. Again, that uh, early, mid and late phase of our luteal and then as we start to peak towards the middle of the luteal phase progesterone and estrogen start to increase so then we see an increase in metabolic rate as well so it's sort of a commonly associated with uh, this phase and also increased body temperature and that increased body temperature is actually used as a measure for where you're at in your phase in your cycle so that we can work out um, when the ideal time is to get pregnant And by we, I mean doctors, because I'm not a doctor. Um, And then, you know, at the end of the luteal phase, we just see both estrogen and progesterone decrease. And this is when PMS and those symptoms of PMS start to occur. That's when we start to get moody. When we, I mean you, get moody. You know, you want chocolate. Like, you get tired. You get, you know, you can get breast soreness. You can get all these sorts of things that start to occur um, just before that Menzies happens again. I've got a question because something that pisses me off, which is probably irrational, <laughs> and I need to do my own work on it, is when I see, I just see these these blatant, not blatant, that's the wrong word, non-nuanced, and, you know, mm. I get upset when things are not nuanced, statements <laughs> that, you know, no matter what, every woman should increase her energy intake, you know, in that late luteal phase or 
Why? And, it's only 300 calories that it goes up. On. Why do you <laughs> need to increase your food by 300 calories? I am, I am, I am glad that <laughs> I, I'm getting a yeah. experience here. But the point I wanted to make with this is it is a little bit more nuanced than just putting up a quote on Insta saying eat more food, which I think a lot of us do want to hear and <laughs> plays into that. But it's like, hang on a second, you know, what's the client's goals? Where are they at? Could we use this time to, you know, uh, get a little bit of speed on our deficit you know could we use that potential increase how do we really know what that um, increase in metabolic rate is for each woman like it's hard to say exactly yeah. well like i said it's a it's not an average of 300 calories you know extra it's like cool if you're potentially utilizing 300 calories of energy more per day and you're in a deficit why would you feed more that's what i think and it just it does piss me off when it's like yes always and it's like hang like, on a second what's the client yeah I, I i don't do that with a single client i never have whether it be in a growth phase or a deficit i have never changed anything based on a menstrual cycle especially if it's a healthy menstrual cycle um the only thing i would ever say and suggest to a female because i have never obviously experienced it is if cramps and stuff are painful to the point that you can't train or you can't train with the intensity to auto regulate for that particular day or those particular days that are painful where we get some sort of training in, but it may be that we push hard on one exercise and we pull back on the other. So we still have some form of progression there, or if they're in a diet or, you know, a deficit, um, obviously it's not really progression that we're driving. We're just driving energy expenditure. So it's like, cool. As long as you get the training session in, do something, I'm, I'm happy. So I'm not too stressed. I think it's such an important point that I want to make too, because again, I, I do see this popular opinion, like, you know, a bit flouncy like you know train around your cycle and all this stuff and I get it like sometimes you're not going to be feeling right and I get that but we can't throw out the principles of programming or training um, and expect to see you know amazing results if we're not training consistently and I don't ever want any of these things to be an excuse and I think we do need to be reasonable and exactly like you said if cramps or whatever and you can't do it you can't do it that's totally fine this is where you know regulation is really really important but i do see again it's these you know it's social media just well i think i think in that aspect as well it's like they're also trying to position themselves obviously in social media to to be some sort of authority that's like yeah like i can relate to you you know everything that you're feeling and i'm going to make you feel better by you know giving you the answer and it's kind of like well that's not always the answer person dependent could you feed someone more in the luteal phase sure does it work any other way in terms of like the metabolism response? No. So doing it to make someone's maybe mental side feel better. Sure. I guess I can see the reasoning for it in terms of mental health. Short of that, I can't see it from a physiological standpoint. So the physiology side of things, I don't agree with at all. Um, The, again, mental stress, how someone's feeling again me not being that really uh highly in touch with my emotions uh i'm much more robotic so i just be like too bad you'll live um that's just how it is just how i am the clients that i work with but i'm pretty good my clients then actually come to me when they're sort of cramping up and you know having their menses and sort of complaining that they want more food or less food or this and that they sort of just go about their daily business mm, yeah and working with you know, I've worked, I've worked with hundreds of women now over five years, right? Mm. And one thing that I've seen is everyone's really different. Yep. And even month to month, 
the way mm -hmm. we respond can be different. I've got a few who are pretty who are pretty consistent in terms of, you know, the way they, they feel, uh, you know, that week before or even week of. And for some of them, yes, they're training. It's just not up to scratch. They don't feel great. And that's fine for them. But I think this blanket approach of do this, you know, and just chuck it out to everyone without explaining the nuances, I think actually is doing women a disservice. Yep. No, I completely agree. I think having blanket statements is obviously going to be the worst thing you can do uh, in these sort of situations. So saying that, yes, you can eat more doesn't mean you need to eat more and eating 300 more calories really isn't that much food, to be honest. So it's yeah, like, unless you're in, talking to a small woman where that is. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's like, like, unless you're on a thousand calories, no, a day, like 300, 300 calories, you know, makes a decent difference. If you're on sort of 2000 plus calories, 300 is not going to make that much and in terms of the actual food consumed. Cause let's be real. Most of the time you're going to want something that's a bit more sweet. Um, something that's going to sort of satisfy those cravings a little bit more. So the actual amount of food volume is going to be very small because it's going to probably be a chocolate bar, probably where that actual saying is like when it comes to females and chocolate. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying it could be. <laughs> Don't all hate me. Just a little bit on birth control. I think you sent me a meta-analysis. I don't know if this was the start of last year now. It could have been ages ago, but just having a look at, at birth control and potential impacts on muscle growth. And just from memory, because I have not brushed up on this recently at all, but just from memory, there was like the, apparently like the shot, which I don't know that they do very much here in this country was no good. Yeah. Apart from that, it's super individual yeah. um, and nothing really conclusive. Was there anything you can add to that? Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at birth control, there's a few different types now, but most common is obviously the pill. Um, what probably a lot of people don't know is that the pills actually, there's two types. There's what we have synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone uh, for the pill. Synthetic um, estrogen, estrogen is already, there's only one form of it. It's been around since I think the sixties or something. Um, originally dosed with about 150 micrograms of estradiol. Um, whereas now they tend to use only 15 to 30 micrograms. They realized that 150 micrograms was probably a little bit too much in that the negative side effects to it were causing too many issues. So what they turned around and did was, well, we'll give you 15 to 30, understanding that they could probably reduce the negative effects, but not the effects of the actual, you know, getting pregnant. <laughs> so Probably not a bad thing in that aspect, right? Considering that's probably what most take the pill for. But then we have synthetic pro uh, progesterone, um, which is also just called a progestin. Um, there's different eight different types at least running around, and they've been um, categorized or you know classed into four different classes or generations. Uh, and it's based on where the uh, when they were developed and also the chemical structure. So they do share a fairly similar chemical structure to testosterone. Um, which makes things interesting in that the first few uh, progestin-based uh, birth control tablets, they were actually based on testosterone, believe it or not, um, just because of the way that they were structured and all the chemical structure. Thing is, progesterone is anti-androgenic. So androgens are basically what give males their male characteristics. So it's what gives us our facial hair, makes our voices deep, um, you know, helps build our muscles and that sort of stuff. Um, the actual first three generations being based on that, what they would do is they'd actually hit the androgen receptor. Um, so progesterone or pro the progesterone would hit the androgen receptor and they differ when they bind. So actual, um, the actual progestin itself would have to bind uh, to the androgen uh, receptor, the cortisol and the mineral corticoid receptor as well, 
So there's a few different things that they do there. And then the way that they act on these receptors will then differ person to person. So how well they bind is one thing. And then what they do after they bind is another. And this is where like a lot of girls were, you know, having potentially acne and oily skin and all that sort of stuff. It's probably because they had one of these first three classes mm. being heavily um, pro- uh, progestin based as well as, you know, based from, from testosterone where the generation four from memory was a mixture of both estrogen and um, progestin. And I think that's the more common one now. Back in the day, it was, yeah, mostly progestin based off testosterone, which would explain a lot as to why girls were getting those side effects. Is it, do you know, this is a, is is some women still prescribe the old classes? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. I think a lot of now are being much more smart in that they're sort of steering away from the pill altogether. You can get things like IUDs and all this other stuff where it sort of doesn't affect your natural hormone uh, balance. So that's what, that was the other problem with these. They affect hormone balance because what had happened is the actual progesterone and estrogen um, amounts were much more than what was naturally produced. So in the tablets, what they're giving you is way more than what your body would produce. And that's also, you know, a potential side effect and what caused potential side effects. Is there any is there any conclusive evidence on it impairing potential muscle growth? Or? So what it does is because it it limits natural um, production. Yeah. Uh, the because they're similar, they're not the same. The actual benefits of natural estrogen production is strength gained and strength increase. Um, again, using a natural cycle, if you do have peaks and troughs of testosterone, whereas with the pill that production is limited and far less. So overall, there is evidence to show that being on the pill versus being off the pill, you have the potential to get stronger when you're not on the pill because you have natural ebbs and flows of testosterone and estrogen as well as progesterone, um, and they all work together in this nice little cycle, right? That's kind of the point. That's why it's called a menstrual cycle. Um, Whereas you take that natural cycle uh, or that natural natural cyclical effect away by introducing something synthetic mm, yeah and, sorry we're we gonna say something i'll say it's kind of like the exact same thing that happens to males when we take testosterone mm, yeah and i think i think that's where it's like of course <laughs> weighing up the the benefits for the person of you know taking it which um may have nothing to do with, you know, training. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's one of the things I actually ask. So any female client that I get on board, as much as funny as it is, um, you know, being a male coach, I'm just like, well, like, are, are you using contraceptives? Like, what are you using? How long have you been on a for? Have you noticed any weird fluctuations? And, you know, you have to ask these questions either as a male or a female coach. Um, and then, you know, trying to turn around and explain to them what's going on and, and why this is potentially happening. And they sort of freak out because, you know, I'm a guy with a beard and they're like, oh, you're telling me about my menstrual cycle. It's like, well, I might know something. Um, and then I, I did genuinely ward everyone off them, to be honest, any female, I don't, there, there is no real benefit physically to them, but I guess not getting pregnant. There is something else a guy can do. He can just wrap it. It's much cheaper, much easier, much less invasive and much better for both of your health. So anyway, just saying, that's just my two cents. It's what I always say to even my female, to my female clients. It's the same thing. It's kind of like, (laughs) yeah, well, I'm just like, well, you know, there's no point like to it, to be honest. It's just what's, why would you sacrifice your, your hormonal health? Um, 
for for something like that when there is something much more simple out there mm, yeah I must admit so I was on the pill for I don't know maybe like eight years in the first time the first time I came off was actually for training reasons or muscle growth reasons I thought potentially that there might be something uh, preventing me from getting as jacked as possible yeah. but it was actually an awful experience like really bad uh mood like really really low mood I yeah think. and th- that's gonna happen um no- nausea it was, yep. it was really bad so then I went back on but then there was just something in me that was like I I don't want to be on this thing anymore and yeah. then well, the, the, that time that I came off there was that I actually didn't have any issues but I you know I am very hesitant to to provide blanket statements because <laughs> like it's such a different experience for everyone and you know the first time I was a little bit younger then the, the second time I was a bit older so who knows what's happening yeah, I mean, it's not that I pro- I try not to provide a, a blanket statement. I'm just very, very against stuffing up hormones first and foremost, and then like female hormones and you know female endocrinology is much more complicated than males. Um, again, why I think you know you're called the complicated species to be honest, but it's so much more complex. So you know, stuffing around with synthetic hormones, it's like if you don't need to, then why would you? Um, you know, if, if there's a necessity for it, then different story. But especially if you're going to turn around and say that it's because of, you know, male interaction or, you know, sexual interaction, I'd pretty much turn around and just say, don't worry about it and just make him use protection. <laughs> From a coaching perspective, Aaron, do you, uh, and I don't know the answer to this already, but do you get your women to track their cycle to provide? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you not tracking your cycle is beyond me. I, I feel even worse. That's a blanket statement that I will make. Track your bloody cycle. Um, and I don't understand what's even worse is that I'm a male telling a female to track her own cycle. That just feels really weird and wrong, but do it. Like, I don't get why you wouldn't. I mean, if males had a cycle, like, I mean, we probably do in some phantom cycles, maybe I'll start tracking my phantom cycles. That's probably about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like short of that, like, I don't know why you wouldn't track it, to be honest. Oh, the good old phantom cycle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's really interesting because it's something I asked from the get-go and I talk about menstrual cycle to my clients and, you know, um, I do the same thing. I ask them if they're taking anything straight off the bat. It's really interesting to me uh, and I do understand it that there still seems to be some taboo around it and I have some clients who will say, I'm sorry if this is too much information, but, you know, I've just got my period or something like that. And I'm always like, hey, it's absolutely not too much information. Like I need to know these things. And if if there is anyone listening who is a client, uh, if I could recommend anything, it would be be very open and, you know, honest with your coach that you're working with. Uh, We need to know this information. I mean, if you want to go like that down that too much information type route, I get my clients to track um, actual fecal matter. So going to the bathroom, making sure that it's all good and there's no problem. So I think menstrual cycles, at least in my worries. (laughs) As long as I don't start getting photos of things, we're good. Okay, all right, we'll leave that there. <laughs> what what we were sort of starting to chat about, which I do want to get into, but um, there's one more topic before I want to talk about PDs, which is mm-hmm. just say a new client comes to you, female client comes to you, 
not taking anything, not looking to take anything either, but wanting to yep. compete. So we'll talk about both. Uh, so if a new female client comes to you wanting to compete. She's never competed before. Now I'm just going to go blanket. It could be bikini. It could be like fitness or wellness or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what questions are you asking her? Could you also take me through what might be red flags for it's not the right time for this woman to compete and maybe we'll leave it for a little bit? Well, if we're look, talking about a complete newbie, never competed before, and we're assuming that she has trained and has some sort of training background, um, I'd simply look at doing some basic dieting to see how she handles dieting first and foremost, and then you know some basic growing just to see how she handles both ends of the spectrum. But questions that I'd ask would simply be, how long are you wanting to sacrifice some time? Like, you know, prepping takes time. There's sacrifices that need to be made. What are you willing to sacrifice? (laughs) Yeah. Like what is it that you're willing to sacrifice and how long for? That's probably a big thing. So, you know, people thinking that you prep for 10 weeks when really you prep for 20 to 26 weeks or 24 weeks. Um, You know, what is it that you're wanting to look like on, stage like how do you think you're going to look and in what time frame is that going to be um, understanding that you know people that others are probably looking up to like on social media and stuff have probably been doing this for quite a while um, and probably also enhanced to be quite honest but again different topic different matter um, and understanding that it's just a time investment like everything takes time there's growing there's cutting there's understanding that, you know, you're going to feel like shit or you're going to feel great. <laughs> and there's highs and lows things that I'd sort of be thinking that they're not ready for is if we're doing like a diet phase or something along those lines. And, you know, they're starting to show some sort of uh, psychological issues to food. So, you know, bad food habits and that sort of stuff. I definitely just refer them out, not in my scope. Um, I, you know, I try and work alongside someone that can help them if that's the case and they're still wanting to do it. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you know, you do have some underlying issues here. So it's not not anything to do with like me, not anything to do with your goal and what it is that you're wanting to do. It's just obviously get this sort of stuff sorted before you sort of look at your goal. Um, what else? Money investment, I guess, as well. It's, it can be a big thing, you know, even as a natural having to buy like, you know, having to pay registration and stuff for starters apparently is very expensive and then having to buy like your bikinis and your heels. And if we do need some sort of supplements, gym memberships, like it, it takes a lot. So just really that, that investment and sacrifice, like what is it that you're willing to do and how far are you willing to go? Mm, yeah. Unfortunately, so, well, there's two things there. I think the first one is I definitely fell into the, into the trap of, you know, being super, super naive and thinking that getting on stage was a, you know, a short-term endeavour. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't appreciate to, you, I think, you know, you and I might argue about this, but I didn't appreciate to um, the time that it would take to build some muscle so that when I got on stage in that lean state, it actually looked like I trained. Yeah. Uh, and looking back now, I, I'm not sure that I would have listened, to be honest with you, had a coach said to me, no, I'm not taking you. I might have just gone with another coach and I'm just being really yeah. honest, right? And that's completely normal and it happens because not every client's kind of like what you say. And I've had that before where I've just told the client that we're not a good fit because they don't want to sort of respect or um, abide by sort of my foundations and my mindset and my rules really to, to do what they want to do. And I'm just like, well, that's cool, man. Go find someone else. And, you know, it's no skin off my back. Mm, and, and the other thing I think I've seen is people expressing interest in it, but then 
absolutely being unable to handle even a, a moderate deficit. Yes. And it's like, you know, you think you're going to be going out partying, like this absolutely not going to, not going to happen. And there's like, I'm sorry, but there's no real excuse for, oh, I just didn't feel like it this week. So I ate a little bit more. <laughs> like what? Like, yeah, okay, that's yeah not, exactly. Not the right yeah. place. <laughs> Yeah, it takes a very, very disciplined mind. Um, not necessarily motivated because there's obviously energy drops and your food drops. Motivation starts to go really out the window really fast. Um, so being very disciplined uh, and routine-based is going to help a ton. And even just the social sacrifice, I think, uh, just just as my own experience, because I don't coach competitors, but uh, being fairly, what's the word do I use? Uh, introverted. The whole not not having much of a social life, I didn't care. It didn't bother me at all. But I think that that might be something that people need to look at those, you know, potentially the people who are spending a lot of time eating out. You know, that's something that is really going to change uh, and, and, and will need to be accepted. And it's like we can look at the glitz and the glamour for females, you know, getting up yeah, for sure. age, but it does require things to change and, you know, dependent on your social circle too and partners like people might get really pissed off at you you know if you're if you've got say you know your in-laws are are very social and they're wanting you know you to come and you know drink and and engage in everything and and you're sort of saying no that's going to cause relationship problems is something that happened with me yeah it's It's definitely a conversation that if you do have a significant other it's something that needs to obviously be discussed and sort of laid out you know the next 20 weeks so it's like this is what's going to happen and you know 10 weeks out i won't be doing shit and blah 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 blah. and you just have to lay it out there and be as honest as upfront as you can right yeah i think it is really important uh, so i actually wanted to touch on and i know you spoke to ben about this on the bros bros with brains podcast you're one <laughs> of your two podcasts <laughs> a little plug for it but the, the <laughs> james smith comments about you know bodybuilding or whatnot physique competitors or it should be left to the one percent otherwise it's going to be you know it's going to cause eating disorders body image issues and all this Mm -hmm. stuff and i know you spoke about it at length with ben but i think it's something that the the listeners would uh, like to hear about too Uh, where did you stand on that well it's funny people like him uh supposed to be promoting this sort of healthy mindset growth positive energy bullshit like all that sort of stuff you know all that crap yet he's gone and completely discriminated against an entire subgroup of people and it's kind of like with with you know one blanket comment one blanket statement like it's just completely and utterly wrong in that you know you promote one thing but then you completely did the opposite like that makes zero sense. You're entitled to your opinion and you want to share your opinion on social media. That's fine. But yeah, you know, again, like we were talking about on the other, on the other podcast, it's the top 2% only get to be the top 2% by being novices and beginners and working their way up. So, and the people that he'd use as examples are horrible examples to be very honest. Um, they're not the top, they're not even the top 10%. So, well, you know, um, again, just something that he probably doesn't know something about. And that's what a lot of people do. They tend to talk about things they don't know about. And again, giving him that airtime, as much as we didn't want to talk about it, a few people had just sort of mentioned it. And, you know, again, you're entitled to your opinion. 
you know, that's all he did. And he does it on purpose to obviously create tension and create talking. And, you know, it's going to feed him clients into his, you know, crappy challenges that he does and doesn't show his face to any of his clients and, you know, has sales programs like, cool, man, like you do you. And then he's just going to regurgitate the same information that he always does from other people because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, I think a really important point is there's probably two things. And yes, one of them is at least anecdotal and I take that. But mm-hmm. the first one is, I think you said this on the on the other podcast, is potentially it might exacerbate issues that already exist, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. potentially. And the other point that I wanted to make was, at least for myself, it was one of the most exciting things that I'd ever done, like that whole prep period for me personally. Um, I was getting out of bed with beans and that's on very low, you know, it wasn't an amazing nutrition protocol that I was on and I was pumped for life. I was, I was actually the the prep, I was in a very, very good place for, and it was more so I think the aftermath that, that I struggled with. And, and, you know, I think what I just said was true for me that it did, um, it exacerbated problems that I hadn't dealt with. And, you know, looking back on it, uh, it's, it's so interesting to me because, right. I think to myself, I probably shouldn't have competed. But at the same time, it that rock bottom provided a catalyst for me to be where I am now. Yeah, and right. it took me from being so obsessed with my body. You know, I would spend hours and hours a day. All I was thinking about was how do I get leaner? How do I eat less? What am I eating? What am I, how am I moving? And hitting absolute rock bottom, gaining 12 kilos in eight weeks, right? Mm. It was hell. But if I hadn't done that, I, it just makes me wonder, you know, how much longer would I have been living in this cycle of hating how I looked and how I felt and all of those things. So in a weird way, it was a catalyst for me to be better than ever, which is very interesting when I think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always a positive to a negative and there's, I guess, always a negative to a positive, right? And you know, some people do need to do certain things, whether they're extreme or not to, to realize that, you know, there is something good coming out of it. And like I said, his comments basically discredited nearly, you know, let's say he uses 2%. So the, the other 98% of people <laughs> wanting to try and achieve this goal just because he can't, maybe, maybe he tried and didn't work. I mean, he had mentioned in his post that he's been lean to the point where he had certain things not working. Um, 10% isn't that lean for a guy, like it's healthy. Um, again, body fat percentages between males and females are obviously very different. Males at anywhere between 10 and 15% is healthy. Getting to 10% while looking very lean to general population, to a bodybuilder, you're still fat. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. It's It's context and it's kind of like, well, yeah, like you want to ward people away from doing that and you know cool if they're showing reasons as to why they probably shouldn't do it even if that's their goal maybe having an honest chat with them is a good thing but if you're just telling people not to do it because it's a waste of time well i mean sorry dude you're a waste of time and i haven't got time for it i don't even follow him so just to put it in perspective i find him very irritating (laughs) let's let's talk about peds Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I think the best way to, to best the best way to talk about this is actually if I just go with the questions I got. Um, yeah, go for it. On Insta, 
So basically the questions were if a female client comes to you like, yeah, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes and just say she has a stage goal, whatever, um, what questions are you asking? Like where does a conversation start? Yeah, so <laughs> it is a funny one. So it really does depend on the type of female because there are females that are like, I'm willing, oh, sorry, not even females, just people. People, I'm willing to do what it takes. And it's like they genuinely mean it. Like you could give them the worst of the worst of the worst scenario and situation. And they're like, and, and they don't, you know, flinch and they don't batter, like batter at all. They're just like, yep, cool, let's do it. And then you've got those like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And you give them some things and they're like, hmm maybe not so the thing that i tend to do mostly um i think it's a bit of a dick move on my part but it's really confronting and really um it really puts things into perspective for people as well especially female clients is i'll, I'll be like well okay how about are you willing to look like this and then i'll show them a female that's abused steroids <laughs> Yeah, like a female, you know, a lot of female bodybuilders that have been around for a while that look a lot more masculine and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when they're wanting to, when they're wanting to come to me and jump on, I'm like, well, okay, are you willing to do what it takes? Because it took her, it took this person like ten years of, you know, steroid use and obviously abuse to get to the way she looks but her physique is like bang on phenomenal and she's, you know, a bodybuilder and, you know, IFBB pro, for example, are you willing to do that? And then you see the conversation turn nine times out of 10, like hmm, maybe not. <laughs> it's like, cool. I just wanted you to realize what it is that you're saying and then what's going to potentially like, what could happen? I'm not saying that it will happen, but you know, depending on the coach you go to, that's, that's what's going to happen. And I see it quite commonly in powerlifting as well. Like, a lot of coaches putting their girls on PEDs and the, P the girls are starting to sound a lot deeper and you're starting to look a lot more manly. And it's just like, okay, well, you don't know what you're doing. So that's the extreme. Again, it, it's a dick move on my part, but it's a very, very um, like hitting move in that like it's really confronting. It's just like, okay, shit, like maybe I don't. Uh, and then we start to talk about other ways to, you know, potentially build tissue in time. And there's other ways to stimulate anabolism in both males and females. You don't need to use anabolic steroids. Um, I highly discourage the use a lot. I do not like putting females on anabolic steroids. There are many other ways to grow tissue. Uh, for, the, for those <laughs> of us like me who, uh, I was going to say a little bit out of my depth, a lot out of my depth, this is not my scene. Can, can you just explain when you're talking about like anabolic steroids and there is another way of, um, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there, there are other ways to build tissue. So the actual process of anabolism, um, there's many ways to stimulate that process. And what's most common in both male and female, especially in bodybuilding, for example, and physique is steroid use. So using testosterone and using things like, you know, people that, oh, I don't know, I'm assuming your, your viewers probably wouldn't, or your listeners wouldn't really know what they are, but like things like Masteron, Trembolone, like all these, you know, steroids, we'll just call them steroids, PEDs. Um, there are other ways though, and safer ways for females to grow tissue. It may not be at the same rate now, steroids will always okay for now <laughs> until something else comes out is always going to be the fastest way to grow tissue okay um again it's a synthetic hormone we don't want to use it as a female because as we spoke about earlier synthetic hormones really do stuff up everything and even more so if you're starting to introduce synthetic testosterone males are built with testosterone we're meant to deal with testosterone our endocrinology is 
built to deal with it and break it down and use it, whereas females aren't. Females dominantly is estrogen, right? That's why if you use too much estrogen in a male, we start to get female characteristics, secondary characteristics, whereas females go the opposite, okay? Um, you can use other things. We have SARMs, which is a selective, a selective androgen re reception, blah, selective androgen receptor modulator. So females do have androgen receptors. However, they do work a little differently in terms of the way the SARM binds to the receptor and it doesn't give as much of an androgenic effect. Perfect. Let's grow tissue without any real side effects. Like, cool. That makes more sense, right? You may start to experience a little bit of side effects with prolonged use. Again, devil's in the dosage as well. But a little bit for a decent period of time, you're going to grow and you're going to get more, mus more muscle, more tissue. You can stimulate the IGF insulin axis so you can start to use insulin and growth hormone. Again, little bits <laughs> for a period of time and females do seem to respond better to growth hormone than guys. Sorry, guys, it sucks, but that's just how it is. Uh, and again, girls take off with it and then they grow a ton of tissue like there's so many other facets and tricks of the trade to use other than having to use steroids and, you know, basically banging on the androgen receptor pathway. Mm, a few questions is just say I'm 21 years old and I come to you. I've just have been training since I was 18 and I come mm -hmm. to you and I say, Hey, Aaron, I want to start taking whatever. I don't really know what I'm talking yeah, about. I what would what would you say? <laughs> I'd just say no. I just it's a simple no. Like a from a female being at 20, 21 coming to me, only training for three years. I'll just be like, no, let's do a whole sack of tissue naturally. Let's get to 26, 27. The other thing you'd have to ask is like, especially at that young of an age, it's like, hey, like how much do you want kids when you're older? Like how much do you want a family when you're older? Because using anabolics it can potentially stuff up that side of the things not to say that it will it's just that obviously it can is that worth the risk and are you willing to take that risk you know if it's a 35 40 year old already had kids or not wanting to have kids different story it's kind of like there's a little bit more freedom in choice with that um, but anyone that's considering having kids in terms of female having a kid don't touch it i am very much against it um the other question i had was I've sort of heard some horror stories where it's like women are perhaps recommended to take certain things by their coach rather than the other way around, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like you'll be competitive if you do X, Y, Z. Yeah, there's heaps of coaches that do that. Can you sort of talk to that? Just so just say someone's listening and, and this is happening to them or so they can be wary of this situation in the future. What should they be wary of? If your coach is suggesting to you without you ever even thinking of taking anything, leave. That's pretty straightforward. Um, as a coach, it's not our job to suggest supplements unless we've been asked and obviously run through the process. Um, just because I have, you know, a, a girl that could be a potential, you know, IFBB pro and it's great for my, you know, my coaching and great for the way I look. Um, and, you know, my business doesn't mean I'm going to be like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of you and, you know, put in all these drugs into you and make you jack the shit and make you look really good. And you're going to love life because you feel good and you look good and you're going to be looking good on stage. And then it's going to make my profile, you know, even better and bigger. It's like, no, at the end of the day, as a coach, we still look after health first and 
putting someone's health at risk is very much against what I do and I think against what most, you know, genuine coaches do. When you talk about steroid abuse or seeing things, uh, seeing coaches do things that are just fucked up, mm-hmm. what does that actually look like in practice? Like, what are, <laughs> so like between, so short of being hospitalized, um, you know, for, you know, again, I've had consults with plenty of girls, bikini girls that have been told to jump on X, Y, and Z. And then three weeks later, they're in hospital. And it's kind of like, well, your coach is an idiot to start with, to be honest. But um, don't get me wrong. There are going to be coaches that will do, do it in the most healthy manner. And, you know, like the process has been done. The females understood, you know, the potential side effects and all the issues and blah, 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 blah. And the coaches laid, laid out everything and, tried it first time and sometimes you do have an adverse reaction that happens in males as well it's not just females um sometimes you know those weird things happen and you can't help that on either end it's like oh shit like did not see that coming then there's those coaches that are notorious for you know pumping their their clients full of you know peds and having pretty bad effects so it's kind of like having these coaches that either get their clients to stage or they're in hospital there's like no in between and that's where the, that problem is. What about the flip side? What about, do you ever, ever have any clients coming to you who are absolutely totally unaware of the PED world, but they're like, hey, I want to look like, you know, this woman who's clearly, in, in your opinion, you know, taking things. Have you ever had that situation where you've had to manage expectations and be like, look, you know, this is an assisted, this is an assisted look? Yeah, um, I'm fortunate that I don't deal with it often um it's more so in passing conversation with probably more so people that aren't clients um yeah like just, just people in general like oh like you know like she looks phenomenal it's like yeah she does and so like, well, how do i look like that i'm like well are you willing to diet and grow as much as she has and so are you, are you willing to take what she does or has in the past and it's kind of like well oh she was on she was on something it's like yeah majority of them are um it's very, very common in the industry. It's very common across social media, both male and females that promote a lot of fitness and health uh, on, you know, some form of PED. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an anabolic because that's just one form of a PED. There are other performance enhancers that um, you can use, like like we touched on SARMs and that sort of stuff. There are, you know, and a lot of both male and female um, influencers and that sort of thing are on things and they just won't disclose it. <laughs> They won't say that that's what they're on because it obviously discredits them a little bit or they feel that it discredits them a little bit when, in fact, it's like everyone already knows nobody cares mm. most of the time. Yeah, it is really interesting because, you know, I def- I was definitely in, well, was, is yeah. still in the category of, you know, seeing um, more influencer-y type females without understanding that they are taking something, that they are assisted. And I, I definitely remember... I think maybe within 12 months of working with my coach, we had a competitor that was training at my gym. And I was like, man, you know, her before photos, she's, there's no muscle on her. She's super, super small. And within a very short period of time, she's fucking jacked. Hmm. I remember being in the gym with my coach and sort of saying like, why does she look like that? Like, how did it take, you know, hardly took her any time. I'm busting my ass and not much is happening. And he, he hmm. just said to me, aim, it's some other things that are happening. Hmm. And that was the first time I was like, oh (laughs) you know like even bikini competitors you don't know well I you know I didn't know and and I think just in terms of managing expectations it's something I see a lot you know like body goals and all of this stuff from you know like um 
a mum of four that, you know, her career and her family is the most important things. Maybe she trains three times a week and she's commenting body goals on a, on a, on a, uh, you know, a, a, a bikini competitor who's, you know, winning heaps and heaps of shows without understanding yeah. what is happening behind the scenes. And it does break my heart a little bit because I was, I was the same thing. I was feeling like there was something wrong with me that yeah. I couldn't look like that. Um, you know, not saying that I train the hardest and put the most effort into to deserve that look, but just in terms of managing expectations, I think it is important for uh, people to hear that, you know, just before we go idolizing a physique, um, number one, it's not yours. And you and I had this conversation the other day. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yours. But, um, you know, number two, just understanding potentially, especially if they're a competitor, competitor there could be some things happening. Yeah. So uh, it's like I tend to get that, funnily enough, more so from guys. They'll send me photos of like, you know, buff jack dudes. And I'm like, cool, I don't need to see photos of guys <laughs> that are, you know, half naked. Like, thank you. I, I get enough of those in my check-in photos. I don't need any more. Um, but secondly, it's like, well, how do I look like that? And it's like, well, you won't. That's a very straightforward comment that I say, like, well, you will not look like that because you are not him. He's not you. You will look the best that you can look at the given time if you follow direction and, you know, adhere at least 80 to 90% of the time. If you don't, well, hey, you're an adult. There's only so much I can do for you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, that's it. And I'm big on putting it back on the client. Um, like, you know, at the end of the day, as a coach, especially as an online coach, we're here to facilitate change, facilitate being the key word. If you don't take the proactive approach and actually do the work, oh, not my problem. Mm. Were there any other sort of general recommendations that you think are important that we've missed or do you think we've covered everything? If there's a woman who's like on the edge thinking she might ask her coach, um, is there anything else that you think might be important? If you're going to talk about in relation to PEDs, if you're going to ask your coach about PEDs, make sure they know something about it. And again, and if they don't, it's okay. Just make sure that they say, I don't know. That's such a big thing. And um, something I harp on a lot, like there's a ton of stuff that like, I don't know. And, you know, a client asks me something, I'm more than happy to say, I don't know. Cause it means it gets, gives me a chance to go learn something new. Um, PEDs is a very touchy field, and especially with female uh, endocrinology, female physiology, it's very, very tricky, much more simple in dudes, much more simple much more complex with girls. So that in itself, um, you know, needs to be addressed. If you're not tracking your cycle, you have no right even thinking about PEDs for starters. So don't even think about it until you have at least 12 months of tracking your cycle. Um, It's probably a big one as well. Uh, That's probably about it. I think, I just think if you're going to ask a coach and make sure your coach knows something and if they don't, well, you either go somewhere else or, you know, they go somewhere else in terms of, you know, upskilling and learning. One more thing that I want to clarify, which could be an it depends answer. Would you ever set or could you set sort of a time frame range with like if you've been training for less than three years, don't even go there or no, you can't say that. I mean, you can obviously coach dependent, like they have their, their set sort of rules and guidelines and stuff that they will follow. Um, for female PED use, for me, it'd have to be at least five years of training, I think, um, as a natural accruing as much tissue as possible and in training training and adapting training habits that's probably the biggest thing no point getting on something that's going to potentially you know disrupt hormone balances and you know menstrual cycle and all that sort of stuff um without having a good foundation of training and a good routine in terms of training eating and you know recovery 
actually there was something about menstrual cycle that I did want to chat to you about quickly Mm -hmm. um, that we didn't touch on before but in terms of you know competitors and the cycle going missing potentially um, just prior to stage date and all those kinds of things you know Mm -hmm. um, when when would you have a concern and then in terms of getting it back what's sort of happening there yeah so it's quite common on a very low energy um availability that females will lose the ability to have a menzies. They're not necessarily um, losing their cycle per se. Uh, you know, they'll still show potential symptoms. Like they'll still get some, you know, if they get bloating and that sort of stuff, they'll still get some sort of cravings, you know, in the luteal phase um, and that sort of thing. And they may even start to spot a little bit versus actual having a full, you know, bleed um, at the same time. It's common again, that energy availability for releasing that um that wall that lining and having that mens is is usually the tell so if you don't have that it just means that your energy is quite low which again normal um if you're dieting down for a show that is bringing it back is the most important part and how soon after it comes back um is usually where it's at so everyone's different (laughs) um you know some people First time is first time. You're not going to know how long it takes, but in theory, you'd probably want it back inside two months, eight weeks, I think would be a nice guideline, eight to 12 weeks, I think. If it's someone that's completely, uh, that's already, sorry, got history and, you know, you can always just base it off that history. And usually the more shows you do, obviously the better metabolic flexibility you start to um, have. And then the more food you start to diet down on anyway, so the actual energy availability is quite high. You may not even lose you like your menzies dieting down into a show if your calories are high enough. That's re- that's really interesting. Hmm. Mm. Uh, final question. Yeah. I've actually got a few, and I'm like, which one do I ask? <laughs> ask away. Um, are there any significant or obvious differences? when it comes to i'll ask both programming and nutrition protocols between your male and female clients or male and females in general it's really goal specific and goal dependent but notoriously females can handle more volume uh, not so much intensity more volume whereas males tend to hold or sorry seem to do much better with higher intensities when it comes to muscle hypertrophy. Um, There is always that argument of volume versus intensity, and I'm very much on the intensity side of things. However, um, you know, using the the best method for the best prayer or the best time for the, you know, for that person is sort of the goal. So, you know, if you can't get three sets of 10 out with a higher intensity, let's say a a one RIR, but you can get, you know, five sets of 10 out with a six, oh, sorry, six, a four RIR cool let's just do that um it's very very similar when equated hopefully um it's another argument that i've had um, yeah it's another argument that i've had but i mean yeah so the idea is it's trying to just fit the best protocol for the person at the time if you have a girl that can handle and handle intensity and wants to train intensely go ham have fun <laughs> like and if you've got, you know, the other side where they do prefer volume, but it's also the same with males. It's like, well, then go with more volume. It just so happens the females tend to recover better from higher volume training than what guys do. Mm, yeah, and yeah, nutrition-wise, I don't change it up. I don't see a need to. I feel like it's very, very um, 
tactical on social media that people sort of promote that and do that so that they can sort of, you know, separate themselves from the herd and offer something different so that they can get clients in. And it's kind of like, well, at the end of the day, you don't need to. So why? I'm a very simple man. You know, if it isn't broken, why fix it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just uh, out of everything we've spoken about, I hope the point has come home how individual a lot of this thing is like, yeah. yes, we need to work in with the the accepted principles of both training and nutrition within that. Like what's happening for the person, let's track all their data, see what's happening um, and take from that with what we can do with an individual. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so, so, so much. I love talking. Most welcome. Um, this might be a good, good. <laughs> this might be a good time to quickly chat about your upcoming seminar yeah i mean meant to be having a seminar on foundations of hypertrophy so just basics of how to get jacked um i won't talk about the lean part yet it's just going to be getting jacked i think um on the 12th of september at apex strength in coburg but again obviously considering lockdowns we'll see what happens there um worst case scenario i'll just push the date and then anyone that needs a refund, happy to just offer a refund. But uh, I will be offering mentor calls for the mentor, not mental, mentor calls. <laughs> so I, mean, I just realized I'm like, did I say I mean, mental or mentor? Uh, I'm pretty sure I said mentor, but just in case, mentor, not mental calls um, for the first 10. So if you jump on my profile link, you can book in a ticket and we'll organize a call. Can you please tell the folks what your uh, Insta handle is so they can find you? Elite Strength Coach. That's pretty much what my name is. I don't actually have a name. (laughs) Actually, yeah, I'm just sort of thinking, like, how long did it take me to realise what your name was? Yeah, honestly, you're not the only one and I still get it. So whatever. Everyone's like, oh, Elite Strength Coach. Like, no, I'm Aaron, but thank you. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I think it would be a really enlightening conversation i wish i had heard all of this way back it would have it would have helped me a lot so thank you so much for coming on no and worries. answering all of those questions no worries. otherwise guys if you love the podcast i would love for you to uh, provide me a review that would be very very kind of you uh, and i've done a few solo episodes uh previously this is of course the first guest episode we've had but the next few coming up will all be guest based which is will be really exciting so just wanting to say thank you to all of the listeners for staying tuned and there's some more fun coming your way